Good morning, church. Another Sunday of the pandemic. We're gathered here for those watching. We're glad that you are going to participate in this worship. Let's approach the Lord in prayer today. Father, we thank you for the day, the beautiful weather you've given us, the rain, a little bit cooler temperatures. We know that'll change. It's August in Arkansas, but we praise you for that. Father, we praise you for your protective care over us and our church family and our extended families. We, we praise you that in the midst of this pandemic, people are being saved and you are being glorified. Father, our prayer for this is you will protect the Christians around the world that are less fortunate than us, that don't live in places of freedom where it's dangerous to call on the name of Jesus, that you'll protect our missionaries on the front lines in those areas, and Lord, that you'll protect our servicemen and women that are fighting uh, uh, for our freedoms even as we speak. And Father, uh, we, 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 we ask that you protect the doctors and the nurses and uh, all those involved, the firemen, the policemen, the first responders, uh, keep them safe. Father, we, we need your spirit to come and heal our land. There's so much violence and there's so much uh, division in our land, such an attitude of hatefulness and, and Father, of uh, racism, and we don't want that. Father, we want the peace of Christ to dwell supremely, but that will not happen unless we have revival and we uh, have salvation and we have uh, surrender to you, Lord Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, take control of this situation. Bring glory to the Father through the midst of this pandemic. Stop it in its tracks, Lord. Let it be unexplainable what you have done and you have your way with your people. And Lord, would you send a worldwide wide revival? We so desire that and we'd like to be a part of that, Lord. Don't leave us out of that. And Father, we thank you for this time. As we look at your word today, make it come alive. Let us look at ourselves and let us apply it and grow from it. And we'll praise you for you alone are worthy of praise. It's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. This morning I wanted to look at... Uh, a section of scripture that is often divided Christendom. Uh, there's been a lot of fights back and forth about it. Uh, I've just entitled it Without Works. But it's in the book of James, chapter 2. James, chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. James, uh, we know, was the half-brother of Jesus. He was the son of Mary and the son of Joseph. <coughs> so he grew up with Jesus. He did not believe till after Jesus was raised from the dead and made a resurrection appearance to him. He later became what most scholars think uh, the senior pastor of the church of Jerusalem. Uh, it's, he writes this to us, and his book is really about what Christianity looks like as we live it out in our daily lives. So he says this in chapter 2, verse 14, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warned and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, uh, do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Then he goes to try to prove it. 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and was accounted him for righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the heart and also justified by her works when she received the messages and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. As I said, this scripture has been uh, debated. Um, several people want to use this passage to say the Bible is contradicting itself because uh, all through the Bible, especially the Apostle Paul, uh, <clears throat> says that we are justified, that means made right with God, that means we're, we're, we're as if we never sinned by the blood of Christ, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And they want to say, well, he's saved by works. And they want to say that that's a contradiction. Even the, uh, the great reformer Martin Luther uh, so despised this epistle of James, he called it a right straw epistle, not much in it that was any good. But see, Luther was reacting to the way that he'd experienced the battles he had fought with the church of Rome, which was totally salvation by works, and he was tired of works. And so when he read James, he missed the whole point of what James was saying. There is no contradiction here. I say that because what he's saying is, look, there's no conflict this is faith and works are two sides of the same coin of grace. On one you have grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. On the other side you have works. Works produced because of faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. Two sides of the same coin. It sort of works like this. I, I meet a lot of people that are either or people. Either they come to church or they might come to something occasionally. Either they Either they uh, uh, want to serve or they want to give. Either they want to give their time or they want to give their money. Either they come to visitation or they come to prayer meeting. Either, they're either or people. The problem with that is the Bible knows of no such things as either or Christians. When we come to Christ, we come surrendering fully. That's the biblical way you come and I come. You see, they want to be either or, either faith or works, one or the other. But you need to understand that true faith, true faith is always evidenced by godly works. True faith is always evidenced by godly works. And so I wanted to look at what he had to say by, by this, comparing two things, okay? Uh, the first is bogus faith. faith. Bogus faith. The next we would call bona fide or genuine faith. Bogus faith versus bona fide or genuine faith. So you got false faith versus genuine faith. Now, I want us to do that because the Apostle Paul instructs us in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. He said, examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Uh, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you're disqualified. But I'll trust that you know you're not disqualified. What he's saying there is, look at your faith. Make sure it's a genuine faith or a, a, a bona fide faith, not a bogus or false faith. 
And that this is one of those tests that were given in the Bible that, that shows do we have genuine faith or bona fide faith. And remember always that you're only saved, not by our works, but by the work of Christ on the cross and the resurrection. Remember that, that true faith always produces godly works. And that's what James is trying to say here. He's trying to correct some folks that thought they should go through the motion of works and it looks good on the outside, but it's not genuine faith in Christ. And so we need to look at what he has to say. As I said, this is, this is one that, that we knew. You see, genuine profession always equals godly practice is the way one of my seminary professors taught it. Genuine profession always equals godly practice. In other words, what we have on the inside, my father-in-law used to say, will show up on the outside. And our talk must match our walk, however you want to say it. Walk the walk, uh, talk the talk, and walk the walk. I don't care how you say it. But it means that true faith always is evidenced by works, genuine, godly works. So, let's look at verses 14 through 20. I'm going to read them again. Notice the problem of a bogus faith. The problem of a bogus faith. It says, again, beginning in verse 14, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked or destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm, be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that there's one God and you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But you ought to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead. The James starts off and we need to ask, what, what is he meaning here? He's not saying we're saved by works. The Bible plainly says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not, not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible does not contradict itself. He's correcting a problem. He had too many people just doing the works. All right? Now, I want you to hear me very carefully and don't misquote me. The only problem I have with the social gospel is this. Oftentimes, people start doing all these good things that are good things in communities, and they are to be shown that we are Christians the way we're doing them, but they never come to Christ. Too many denominations have so sold out to doing these good things that they never get around to telling people before the good things come, there has to be repentance and faith in Christ. We are to impact our communities. We are to do good things. We are. I want you to hear that, but understand he's correcting something. They bypassed genuine faith in Christ. They bypassed repentance and faith in Christ and just said I have faith but it's a bogus faith now how do I know that you see what he's truly saying is no man can be genuinely saved and not be good works and that it matches exactly what the New Testament teaches if you want some scriptures you got that Ephesians passage Ephesians 2 8 and 9 you have 2 Corinthians 5, 17, talks about being a new man, Matthew 3, 8, Luke 3, 8. 
Matthew 5, 16, Matthew 7, 15 through 21, just on and on. The Apostle Paul uh, even argues uh, some of that in the book of Romans when he talks about you justified by faith and it wasn't just by works. He examples that because he said Abraham was justified by his faith in God. In other words, he was made right with God and he was called a friend of God. It was accounted to him righteousness. That happened before he was circumcised. It had just been by works. The Jews were dependent. They were circumcised. It was a physical act. It was works. Their ceremonialism had taken over genuine faith. James is trying to correct some of that. So what are some of the characteristics of a bogus faith that we can look at our faith and make sure we're in the faith? The first one is empty boasting. When you look at verses 14 through 17, people talk a good game, but there's no substance to it. In other words, he says, if you have faith that works, that faith is dead. And he gives some examples. He said, if someone comes to you and they're a Christian brother and they're hungry and they lack clothing, and you say, be warned and be filled. And they go on, you know, I have faith and I want your brothers just be warned and be filled. But you don't do anything to meet that need. He said, that faith is dead. It doesn't do anybody any good. You see, when you just say, be warned, be filled, but you don't give them things for the body, it's dead faith. So, you see, it's, it's empty boasting. They go on and say, I have faith and you have works and I'll show you my faith. And he says, I'll show you my faith by my works. I have the faith that produces works. Do we understand that? It's just empty boasting. Then it's ceremonial works. Uh, verse 18 talks about ceremonial works. They go through the motions. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Do we understand that? They're ritualistic acts, works. Um, there's nothing wrong with tradition. Yeah, I want you to hear that. But when tradition is just done for tradition and we've lost the meaning of why it was done, it's dead works. It's, it's dead faith. You see, there's nothing wrong with... Uh, some of the many traditions we have. Um, but if they're just done because we've always done it that way, why are we doing them? There has to be a meaning behind it. For instance, uh, the Jewish system uh, was that you would offer a sacrifice and you would identify with that animal and you would confess your sins and place your hand on it saying, this animal is dying in my place. And Christ, as the Lamb of God, died in our place. But it took faith to believe that, be accounted. And that's the way God said to do it. So they had faith in God. But they just got to work going through the motions. Usher them in there. Do that. Have a big festival. Have a special call meeting. And all through the minor prophets we hear God saying, I hate these offerings. They're not done in faith. They're bogus. You're just going through the motions. You're doing our works with the singing back and forth and the festivals and the special meals. But you haven't repented of sin. You haven't changed your ways. There is no true faith in you. These are dead works. That's bogus faith. So it's empty boasting. It's ceremonial works. I think the empty boasting, if you look at the scribes and Pharisees, that's what they, they were guilty of. And then there's intellectual agreement. I really like this one. I get a lot of people that tell me all the time, oh, I believe, Brother Gary, I believe. But what they tell me they believe does not match what Scripture says is genuine faith. Do they believe enough to surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Or Savior and Lord, however you want to put it. 
And usually the answer is no. It says this. You believe that there is one God and you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? It's intellectual agreement. This type of faith doesn't say it. A lot of people believe about Jesus, but what they believe is not biblical. You see, the problem with bogus faith is that it's dead. It has no substance. It has no godly works to go with it. Now, we don't do the godly works uh, out of a sense of duty. We do the godly works because Christ has transformed our hearts. We are new creatures in Christ. Old things have passed away, all things. And out of love and genuineness, we want to serve. And out of love and genuineness, we want to bring glory to God. It's not about, Brother Gary, I did this, and I ministered to this person. It made me feel so good. Well, I agree it'll make you feel good, but if that's all you got out of it, you missed the whole point. The works are to glorify our Savior, Jesus. The works are to introduce our community to Christ. The works are like Jesus said, if you offer just a cup of cold water in my name, you'll have your reward. The works are not for our glory. The works are not to make us look good. The works aren't even to make us feel good. The works are because the Holy Spirit moved us to minister to this person for a chance to introduce them to Jesus. That's the true social gospel means, yes, I'm going to help feed the poor. Yes, I'm going to try to clothe the poor. Yes, I'm going to give to the poor. Yes, I'm going to uh, uh, try to have justice for the poor. Because when you read your Old Testament, which I've been doing a lot now, the nation of Israel had all these outer signs of knowing the true God. But there was not justice in their lives. There was not mercy in their lives. They oppressed the poor. There was no justice in their court system. There were bribes everywhere. Uh, People are being taken advantage of. It reminds me so much of the United States. It's very upsetting to me that justice is not based on truth. Justice is based on who can hire the best lawyer. What can you trick somebody into saying? What loophole can you dodge? It's upsetting. But you see, the problem with the Mocha's faith is that it's dead. Absolutely worthless. If you don't read that, you read verse 17, 20, and verse 26. Bogus faith is dead. It's worthless. When my kids were small, we started having family night. We did it on Thursday nights. And on family night, I made sure I had no appointments. There was no meetings. No matter how important the meeting was, didn't matter. I was home that night, not only for supper, because I tried to be home every night at supper to visit with my children after school, but I was home and we had family night. And each child on a different week got to pick what family night was. It might be that somebody wanted to go outside if the weather was nice. It might be somebody wanted to watch Power Rangers. I won't say who that was. It might be that, that somebody wanted to play games. And sometimes if we got stuck in a rut, mom and I, Elizabeth and I, would take over and we'd pick something different. Maybe a special walk or a picnic or there was a stream near us and we walked down and I tried to introduce them to nature, whether it was catching crawdads or looking at uh, animal tracks or seeing the birds, different things of that nature, just whatever it was. But one of their favorite things was to play Monopoly. And they liked Monopoly and some of the other games because they had play money. You know what I'm talking about. You pass go, you get $200, you know, somebody lands on you, you get rent. They liked that money. And they liked, to, they liked playing that that was real money. I can remember... Uh, 
uh, Matthew when he was real little trying to take that money to the store to buy candy. But the thing about that money was, in the game, it represented something, but it was just a game. In real life, it was worthless. Now, a professed faith that doesn't produce godly works, in real life, is worthless. You may have intellectual agreement. What we need, all of us, is heart-changing commitment. Now, we may operate out of love and obedience, or maybe it's out of compulsion, out of selfishness. You see, our faith is to have an effect on others. Okay? There are works of righteousness that we need to say in our lives. We're like works like this. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, and He always comes at the moment of salvation, he gives us for special gifts to use in the service of the kingdom. And he also produces fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control. We could go on and on. Part of that issues out in our giftedness in our lives to what works are produced in our lives. Some people, I believe, have the gift of hospitality. They're always hospitable. That I have people over, they'll cook a big meal, they'll make them feel welcome, they'll take a meal when somebody has, has died, they'll, they'll do all kinds of things to minister through their gift. That's the fruit of righteousness produced by the Holy Spirit. That is genuine faith. Other people, if they look at their lives and, and are honest, can't see fruit. They do a lot of works, but it's in their own power because they feel they have to. There's not a leading of the Holy Spirit. There's not evidence of godly fruit. That kind of faith is dead. Apostle Paul would believe that. James believed that. The New Testament writers believe that. Jesus said, by their fruits you will know them, speaking of false prophets and false teachers. Does that mean I'm a fruit inspector? Well, no, it doesn't mean I try to judge others, but it does mean when I see no fruit or when I see a fruit that I know is not a godly fruit, but a worldly fruit, then I have to think, mm, that didn't bring glory to Jesus. Mm, that, that's, not, that's not biblical. And I have to not judge them, but I have to judge myself. Is there evidence of fruit in my life? Evidence of works in my life? If not, I better check. When I came down the aisle, when I profess Christ as my Savior, did I fill out a card and get baptized? Or did Jesus Christ forgive my sins and enter my life in the presence and work of the Holy Spirit? If that did not happen, I have a bogus faith. Well, that's sort of heavy, Brother Gary. Yes, it is, but it's eternally important. The second thing, let's get to the good part. What is the product of a bona fide faith? What is the product of a bona fide faith? Again, let's read verses 21 through 26. Was not Abraham our father, justified, our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. He was called a friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. That's the sticking point that most people have. 
Likewise, was Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. See, the product of a bona fide faith is godly works. Uh, John Calvin, the great reformer, said it this way. It is faith alone which justifies. To be justified means to be made right with God. In a children's term, it would be as if I never sinned. Christ's blood on the cross as we accept it in faith and we repent of our sins justifies us before God. He doesn't see our evil, our sin. He sees Christ, Christ's good work, Christ living in us. And that's what he said. But he went on to say, it is faith alone which justifies, yet faith which justifies is never alone. Faith which justifies is never alone. A.J. Ironside, preacher of the last century, said this, there is no work of grace in the heart. There is no work of grace in the heart where there are no acts of grace in the life. I like that definition. Do we understand that's exactly what James is arguing in these verses? Genuine, bona fide faith always produces godly works. So the product of a bona fide faith are these works. So what are the characteristics of a bona fide or a genuine faith? Okay, he gives us some. First is commitment and trust. When you read about Abraham here, Abraham believed God. It was counted him to righteousness. That's, he was made right with God. He was justified. Now he did that because he had faith in God. He was justified. See, the work of the cross is going to go backwards and forward. We're going to see those Old Testament saints because even though I hadn't seen the cross, they believed God. They had faith in God. They lived a different kind of lifestyle. Do we understand that they look forward to the cross, we look backward to the cross, and Jesus saves us all. Faith. But it's commitment and trust. True faith involves the entire person. Abraham had to leave everything. Abraham had to start out on his own. Abraham had to leave his family, what he knew, the false gods of his area. Okay, we understand that. But here, justification at the judgment seat of God, at salvation, we're justified in the eyes of Christ. It's an act of judgment measured by life. In other words, you see, it's, it's commitment and trust. Does our commitment in God show up in our lives? It's to make a difference. People should look at us and realize we operate in a different sphere than the world. People should look at us and realize we live differently than the world. People should look at us and see a difference in our lives because of what Jesus has done in our lives. That does not make us pharisaical. That does not make us hateful. That does not make us unloving. It makes us just the opposite. It makes us humble. It makes us loving. It makes us not judgmental. It makes us understand that we are called to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. So it's commitment and trust. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior? He's the only way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, John 14, 6. Do we understand that? Genuine faith is always by commitment and trust. Do you go through life 
asking God about what you're to do, trusting God in your prayer life, not just in emergencies, but in the day-by-day -day living? Is there trust there that you know God will never fail you? Is there trust there in your faith in Him that nothing is impossible with God? Is there trust there that you know that there's nothing good in you except Jesus Christ? And that's enough. But there's also practical deeds and actions. See, true faith doesn't just talk, it believes God and acts on that belief. These works of love and money, ministry and uh, justice and all those things, they prove that we've been saved. Abraham proved that he was righteous with God. Abraham proved he believed in God. How is that? His faith was made perfect is the way that James says it. It means that he proved the faith he had by his actions when God said, go offer your only son, the son of promise, Isaac, up on a burnt offering. He did exactly that. He was going to slay him. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, he believed that God was even powerful enough to raise one from the dead. He believed God and his actions showed that, his works. He goes to say, man is saved not just by faith alone, but by works. He's not adding to faith or taking away from faith and grace. He's saying it proves what we believe. What we believe shows up in our actions. Our children are going to see that immediately. Do we talk a good talk, but at home we don't live out Christianity? Do we talk a good work, but our workplace is no different because we're Christians there? Do we talk a good work, but... When it comes to really ministering to folks that aren't like us, we don't want a whole lot to do with that. Something's wrong with that kind of faith. My father and I used to say, if you want to know a real Christian, what a real Christian is, it's like a dog. If he's a real dog, you put a cat in front of him, he hates it and he'll bark at cats. If it's a real Christian, you put somebody in need, and the Holy Spirit will move him to try to meet that need, whether he has to get others involved or whatever, but it will cause us to have compassion on that. It's practical deeds and actions. You see, again, it's evidence, the byproduct of bona fide faith is godly works. It tells us the truth of that in uh, verse 26 that we can't escape from. For as the body without the spirit is dead, we all know that, when our spirits depart, our bodies die. Without the spirit, there's no life. So faith without works is dead. Our faith is seen in our actions. It's easy to say, I have faith in Christ. I meet people all the time that tell me they believe in Jesus. But there's no evidence of that. They've never come to church. They've, and these are works. And I'm not trying to be judgmental, but there's no fruit. I don't see them telling others about the Jesus they came to know. Uh, I don't see them uh, working in the kingdom. Okay, I don't see them helping others. They're usually mostly selfish. The church is here to serve me, and, and when I need it, I'll be there. And when I don't, I ain't coming. Pardon my ain'ts, but that's the truth. See, that's awful harsh, Brother Gary. I'm not trying to be harsh, but do we examine ourselves to make sure we're in the faith? Do we have a bogus faith, which is a false faith, or a genuine faith, which is a bona fide faith? It shows up in how we live. It shows up in the works that are evident in our lives. It shows up in the fruit that is produced. True faith is always evidenced by godly works. Somebody says, I just, I just don't understand. Well, justified in the Greek has two meanings. 
It means acquittal. It means you're declared righteous, you're innocent, as if you'd never sinned before. That's the way Paul uses it throughout the New Testament. He, he, he says that we're justified, we're made right with God through faith in Christ. Here is the other way justified is used. It, it, it's, it's proof of righteousness. It's what Paul is or James is talking about. It's the same side of the coin. You're saved by grace alone and faith alone. But the proof of that is there's works of righteousness in your life. It affects all areas of our life. People all the time get after me, don't be political, don't be preaching political. There's no area of life that a Christian isn't influenced by Jesus Christ. Well, now we're talking business here, Brother Gary. That tells me I'm not going to do business with that person, first of all. If their business is not under the lordship of Christ, I don't trust them. Even they come to church. Well, Brother Gary, you know, there's, there's ministry and there's business. No. Our business is our ministry. Our ministry is our business. Do you understand that? Ministry. Good works. Fruit. I might have confused you. I, I don't know. I hope not. But my desire is to make sure that I'm in the faith and you make sure you're in the faith and that we understand genuine faith always produces righteousness or godly works. Let's pray. Father, if there are those who have heard my message and they've realized for the first time their eyes have been opened by your Holy Spirit that they're not in the faith, help them right now to pray that prayer that they confess their sins and ask forgiveness of their sins because only Jesus can do it. And for Jesus to come into their life and be the boss of their life, the Lord of their life. If there are others who think I've been strained so far, I feel so cold, would you let them rededicate and find your Holy Spirit anew, flaming the fans, a revival in their heart, and, and let your Holy Spirit start producing the works and empower them to live as you would have all of us to live. If there are other decisions to me need to be made about joining the church, let them call me and we'll arrange for that to happen. If they need to uh, come in special surrender or they've got a problem that they really need prayer about, then let them seek me out or seek one of the deacons out. And Father, we thank you for this passage, how it challenges us and how we have to grapple with it and chew on it. We'll grow from it. Lord, thank you for your word that helps us be assured that you've saved us. Fill us. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. Let your works be evident to men, not for our glory, not for our benefit, but for the glory of God, for the benefit of others, that Jesus be magnified in our community through our work, through the church and your kingdom. These things I pray in Jesus' name.